Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Sister Hughes, and what a great opportunity it is for me and my wife to be here at Greater Life to celebrate uh, this special day with you, the 23rd anniversary of some of the greatest people that we know. What a great church for him to be pastoring. What a wonderful opportunity for this city to have such a wonderful church as this in their midst. And boy, I'm going to tell you, my hats are off to this praise team and musicians today. What a great group of people singing the word of the Lord. Just been absolutely fantastic. Thank you for inviting us over today to uh, be with you to celebrate the 23rd anniversary. We were at our church for 35 years. We still have a position there, although we haven't been there very much <laughs> lately. But we still have a little position, a little closet for an office. And <laughs> we go through there every now and then. We were privileged to pastor our church. They're such a great, great congregation of people. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many people have asked me uh, since July when we uh, retired and resigned our church, why did you do that? I don't think I still have a good answer for that yet. I'm still trying to think of a good one. <laughs> but it could be that the Lord just decided to change our direction a little bit. And we're glad to do that. God's been so good to us, and we've been so very, very blessed. Brother Sister Hughes was preaching for us, I think, right before they came here. So I'm going to tell you a little story about that. And this will be funny to everybody in this building except Sister Edwards. Brother Sister Hughes was preaching for us, and we were building a new home. And uh, I'm not the most patient person in the world, and we were just about finished with it, and you know, with just those last-minute things. And so, uh, I was trying to pack it up. Sister Edwards decided she was going shopping. I don't know where she went, but she was gone a long time. So, I just called some of the ladies of the church. Thought I'd get some help. They came in our house, packed up everything, put it in boxes. So I called Brother Hughes to come. I said, I need your help. He said, I don't think I want to get involved in this. <clears throat> He's such a wise guy. But he did come over. <laughs> and we loaded all those boxes and moved everything. And when Sister Edwards came back to our old home, there was nothing left. Now I want to tell you younger guys in this building something. This is not for a novice. <laughs> you're not real sure about your marriage, I wouldn't advise doing that because uh, that's been <laughs> almost 20-something years, 23 years ago, 24, and she's not over it yet, folks. I'm going to tell you that right now. And we went to our new house, and uh, the next morning, I had to go to Mississippi to preach. So we put our... Uh, mattress on the floor. Great for me because early that next morning, of course that night, I slept right on the edge of that mattress. 
and she slept right on the edge of that mattress, way apart. And so I just got up and gently got everything together and left before she came, uh, before she woke up. And when I started to come home, I had to call. But she said, yes, I want you to come back. I miss you so much. So, hey, uh, don't, don't do that. But when I think of 23 years, I, I can't help but think of that, that they come and preach for us. He was my partner in crime. Amen. I know that I have a lot to do here this afternoon, so I won't be long. Amen. Philippians chapter number 4. You know, I've always wanted to preach in this church, Brother Hughes. We've been friends a long time. We've been places together, and we've done things. And, but I've just always thought it would be such a great honor and a privilege uh, to preach in this church. So today's the day. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Would you pray with me, Father? We love you today. And we thank you for your goodness, for your blessings. We thank you for your help. And I ask God that you would touch us. Let the word of the Lord just go forth from this pulpit. Touch our spirits and our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. Clap your hands one more time before you... Praise God. You can be seated. The Lord bless you. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. I read a story that intrigued me so much about a man by the name of Charlie Plum. He was 24 years old, he was a pilot uh, in the Vietnam War. And he had already flown 74 successful missions. And in five days from his last mission, he was going home. He was aboard the USS Kitty Hawk, and uh, he was probably thinking, I'm bulletproof. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Never know what those things are going to do. And... Uh, he thought, one more time, I've been 74 times, I'm going to make it 75, and I will be on my way home. But on this particular trip, he was shot down behind enemy lines, and he fell in the hands of the enemy, the Vietnam uh, Army. And, of course, you know, then it took him to this famous place. There may be some veterans in uh, this building today, and you'll be familiar with the name, the Hanoi Hilton. It really was not a hotel. It was a prison. And in that prison, uh, our soldiers uh, experienced some of the most cruel and harsh punishment that anyone could ever experience. And at this particular time, Charlie Plum, 24 years old, flown 74 successful missions, 
and fell at the hands of the enemy on number 75. Thought, I won't be here very long, but as the days went by, turned into months and to years, and finally ended up being six years in prison. And one of those particular times when he was there, and he was so sad, his body had now dwindled to 115 pounds. It was seven, 27 balls on his body, front and back. In his little 8 by 8 cell, he had learned to pace three steps forward, pivot, turn around, and pace three steps back. So you can imagine the torment physically and mentally that he was going through. And one day while he was sitting on the floor underneath the prison wall came a little piece of wire. And he looked at it and evidently somebody had been placed in the cell next to him and kept looking at that wire and it began to wiggle. And he reached over and gently tugged it and there was a tug on the other end and pulled it back through on the other side of the wall. And then a strange thing happened. It came back through with a little note attached to it. And he said on the note, you know what your problem is. And here was Charlie Pum, 117 pounds, his body about to deteriorate. His mental anguish was more than you can imagine. His body was racked in pain. He was just suffering more than, than you can probably imagine. And then here comes this note of, of this guy that was asking him, do you know what your biggest problem is? He said, I started not to answer it. He said, I reached over and, and uh, scribbled a little something with a little piece of dirt on it. And he said, my curiosity was sky high. So the guy pulled the wire back through the wall and on it was... What is my problem? Stuck it back through again with a little note scribble on it. And he said, your problem is simply this. You think you're in prison. You think you're in prison. Mad, disgusted, wondering what idiot on the other side of the wall. But since I haven't had anybody to communicate with me, I'm, I'm just going to do my best because a little communication is better than no communication. And so uh, they began to figure out a way to communicate, putting little notes on, uh, on a wire, slipping it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, began to realize what he was saying, you think you're in prison. And what he was really saying is this. The guy on the other side of the wall doesn't know me, and I've never seen him, and he's never seen me. He doesn't know that I flew 74 successful missions against the enemy. He doesn't know that I was shot down. He doesn't know that I've been beaten. He doesn't know the problems that I've gone through. He doesn't know that I'm starving to death, and he doesn't know that night after night I'm racked in pain, and my body knows no rest. He said, He's given me therapy. He's given me some therapy because when he's saying that, he's saying, you know what? Our problem really starts with our mind. We start thinking sometimes about things and we wonder why we're having to go through this or through that. But as a man thinketh, so is he. And so as he began to communicate with this guy, I began to realize that the first problem that we have is thinking that we're in prison. 
whether we are or whether we're not, we start thinking about some things and we begin to realize that uh, when we start thinking about ourselves, we always start blaming somebody else for our problems. We always start blaming people that we are surrounded with or our church or our neighbor, our job, our friends, our school, whatever it might be. It's always somebody else's uh, that brought me to this position. But really, when I tell you something, uh, we are our own worst enemy. The things that we have, the things that we do, the things that we're looking at, the things that we're thinking about sometimes puts us in that place that's called a prison. And we live with that. Some people live with fear. Some people live with jealousy. Some people live with guilt. Some people live with hatred. Some people live with all of these things. But whether you know it or not, your biggest problem is you're thinking that you're still trapped in that world that you're living in. You're thinking that. But maybe this morning, this little uh, message can be the wire that slipped under the wall. And somehow or another make you start thinking that you do not have to be the person that you're thinking that you are. Now, you may be shouting with the choir this morning, and you may be dressed to a T, and, and everything may look really good on the outside. But let me ask you something. Are you in prison this morning? Are you in prison by what you're thinking, or are you in prison by what you're doing? Or could it be that there's just that root of bitterness that is there that you just can't seem to conquer that? Let me give you a scripture today. Can the thing that is formed look to the warm one that formed it or created it and say, why did you make me this way? Whoever you are in this building this morning, it may be some handicapped people here today in a mental form or physical form. We sometimes look to God and say, why did you create me this way? You may be fighting with, with unseen sins and hidden sins that you come back and think, why did God even make me to have these kind of desires? You know, God didn't make a mistake. I want to tell you that. God never has made a mistake. God never will make a mistake. So you know what? When we look at the Creator and we ask God, why did you make me with this desire? Why did you make me with the feelings that I have? Why did you make me with these things that I have to live with every day? The message comes back Then the thing that is created, that's you. Look at God and say, God, you made one mistake and that's me. That's prison thinking. You've got to get out this morning of that mental prison bars that you're in and start thinking God did not make a mistake. Sometimes it's possible to start life all over. It's not just when you get the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, I've been a pastor for a long time, a long time. Pastor two churches. So I've pastored over 40 years and I've been preaching close to 50. But let me tell you something. I've never seen people that did not change when they get the Holy Ghost. But the most difficult people to change is people that's had the Holy Ghost for a long time. Sometimes it's so hard for us that have been involved in this. Because we get used to coming to church. We get used to singing. We get used to going to prayer meeting. And we still leave in prison. 
one of the greatest miracles that God can ever do for us uh, is that thing that he gave to us that we can come back uh, and keep pouring our spirits out to God and repenting and asking God to help us. Uh, I've learned a long time ago never to promise something that we can't fulfill. How many times have you ever messed up in life and promised God, I'm never going to do that again? How many times have you ever looked at pornography online and promised God, I'll never do that again? How many times have we ever had spirits rise up within us and promise God we're never going to do that again? And you know what? Next week, do the same thing over again. You're in prison. But let me tell you why that you can't get the victory of it because you're making one large mistake. You're saying, I won't ever do it again. You don't have power over it. If you did, you would never done it to start with. But here's what I've learned through the years. Uh, If God will help me. (laughs) If God will help me. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You don't have victory over it. You don't have power over it. You can't do it. But I want to tell you, there's power in the blood of Jesus. Uh, I said there's power in the blood of Jesus. Uh, And by the help of God. My God, have mercy. By the help of God and the power of the Holy Ghost, I'm determined to get out of prison. I'm determined to rise up. I'm determined there's help in the house. I'm determined that this morning somebody somewhere can get a hold of God and say, I'm going to leave this building in a different way. Praise God. The problem with us is when you start blaming other people for your your misfortune, for the things that happen to you, you'll never get out of prison. Paul was not uh, a person that was not familiar with prison walls. In fact, he knew what it was to be locked in prison over and over and over again. Insomuch that he wrote about it and he said... That he was in prisons often. And he said, I have been uh, of the Jews five times received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Suffered shipwrecked a day and a night. Have I been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, and in perils in the wilderness. And he just won't quit. He just keeps going on and on and on and on. But Paul wrote over half the New Testament. And most of those was written from a prison cell. If anybody would know about prison thinking it should be Paul. But listen to what he said. Rejoice. He had the right medication. And he said, and again, I say rejoice. Somebody quoted that, and I believe it was you playing the, the, the keyboard this morning. My Lord, sometimes we have just got to realize as saints of God that there's a place and a time in our spirits that we have just got to rise up and say, it's not good, it don't look good, it probably won't ever be good. But the one thing that the devil cannot take from me is the joy of the Lord. Amen. And when he said rejoice, my God, uh, 
you can't have happiness until you get joy. And when we have joy, I want to tell you, prison can't take it away from us. Sickness can't take it away from us. Not even death can take it away from us. Paul was accustomed to prison sales. Daniel was accustomed to prison sales. Uh, Jeremiah was accustomed to prison sales. Uh, Simon Peter was accustomed to prison sales. In fact, if you read the history and the story of the 12 disciples, they were all in bondage in some way physically. And they all died a horrible death. Sometimes we got to stop and think if we don't have all the luxuries that we seemingly think we deserve, that God's against us. We think if we're not driving the best car in the parking lot, that God's against us. We think if we don't have these uh, precious things that we call comforts of life, that God's against us, but really he's not. Some of the, uh, Money can't bring you happiness. But it's about the second best thing I can think of to bring you happiness. <laughs> but money can't give it to you. But you know what? God's not against you having things. He's just against them owning you instead of you owning it. Pride is not what you drove the church this morning. Pride is not the suit that you have on. Pride is not uh, the hair uh, that you've took a long time to fix this morning. And this is a beautiful church of holiness. But let me tell you something. People that, that can walk into this church with overalls and, and brogan shoes, and if you're not dated in the 50s, you don't know what brogan shoes are. I don't see any here this morning. See Stacy Adams and uh, all that. But, all, but you know what? You can have the poorest living quarters in Houston and still have pride because pride is a spirit. God's not against where you live or what you live or what you drive. But he said, if you are lifted up, I'll bring you down. Pride sometimes is that spirit that we carry with us. Paul was in prisons often. Sometimes we forget how it is that Paul would say, I'm the poorest, I'm the meekest. But yet when he turned around, he said If it wasn't for what God put me through and that thorn in the flesh in my side, I wouldn't be here today. Amen. Amen. And again, I say rejoice. Let me tell you something. Faith looses us from fear. Fear's a spirit. I made the mistake of watching a beheading of some of those poor people over in Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. I, I've not gotten over that. I'm, and I've only watched one. I won't watch another one. You know why? I'm telling you a spirit of fear. Not for me, but for my kids and my grandchildren. And the spirit of Antichrist that's loosed in this world today will bring it up on you. But let me tell you something. Faith defeats fear every time faith defeats fear every time 
Amen. When it's a stormy sea, we can cast out an anchor. And listen, I love this scripture. It's just simple, but it's to the point. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, I shall arise. And when I sit in darkness, uh, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Praise God. Uh, Come on, church. I want to tell you something. It's time to get out of the prison of fear. Praise God. It's time to get out of the prison of fear. Praise God. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a great thing. It's a gift that you give yourself. Let me get back to the story. Charlie Plum, six years in a POW camp, beaten, health deteriorated, boils on his body, 115 pounds, mental anguish that you cannot imagine. But the war is now over. He's loosed. The first place he goes after he gets out of the hospital, he's trying to call his wife. Over and over and over he calls her, over and over and over and over and over and over. Finally, no answer, but he calls his mom and his dad. And he talks to them a little bit, and he says, where's my wife? We've been trying to call her. No answer, no answer, no answer. His mother, weeping over the phone, she says, Charlie, we didn't want to tell you this, but she got tired of waiting. Remarried, started her life over again. Finally gets home. His friends said, Charlie, you ought to hire a lawyer. You ought to try to get back that house. You ought to try to get back everything that you've given to her. You ought to try to get everything that you possibly can. You ought to try to just take everything that you can away from her because you was in a POW camp and she was getting remarried. I love this. Is, this is what he said. He said, I've been in a POW camp and a prisoner for six years. I cannot afford to be bitter. I can't afford to be bitter. I've been in prison six years. I've been beaten. I've been starved. I've been hurting. I've been denied. Nothing comfortable at all in that little eight-by-eight cell. And he said, even though that my spirit and my heart is broken, he said, I cannot afford to be better. I feel like telling some folks in this building tonight, when you get out of prison, you'll quit being better. When you get out of that thinking mode and attitude, you'll, you'll not be better. Let me tell you something. We've been through hell and back. I can't afford to be better. We've been through problems and distress and uncomfortable. We cannot afford to be bitter. We've, my God, we've been through situations that you can't imagine. Uh, and I want to tell you something this morning. Uh, we cannot afford to be bitter. We got a better opportunity than we have ever had in our life. Lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Praise God. I know, I, I know what you're saying, Pastor. We've been hurt. Can't imagine how we've been hurt. I'm going to tell you something. Everybody in this building's been hurt. There's not one person in this building that has not been hurt. But you know what? We're back, and we're singing, and we're praying. 
And the devil keeps wanting to put you back in that prison thinking. And you know what prison thinking is? Uh, Prison thinking is just thinking that you're in prison. But when I walked in here this morning and I started singing the songs of Zion... I want to tell you, all the hurt rolled away. All the problems rolled away. When I began to lift up my hands, I rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Woo! I'm going to just make one personal reference. But, you know, when you pastor a church, you're, you're going to get hurt. You've got great people. But I'm going to tell you, if we count the hurt the last 23 years, it would be probably mounting up pretty good but let me tell you we've all been there a few years ago we went through a devastating situation and uh walked into our bedroom and uh it was late it was winter it wasn't it wasn't like nine or ten o'clock it was just already about five thirty or six but it was dark and i noticed the light wasn't on and walked into the bedroom and I could hear my wife laying on the floor sobbing and praying and and uh, so I just knelt down and we both began to pray and we were just pouring our hearts out to God and asking God what is your will and what do you want us to do and and all of a sudden I, I, I heard her say these words in desperation and, and and don't blame her because we've always sometimes felt like, God, where are you? I prayed, but where are you? And, and she said, Lord, if she didn't say, if you love us, she wouldn't include me. She said, Lord, if you love me, that's her. If you love me, let somebody call me right now. And when she said that, my phone rang. Just that quick. Instantly, my phone rang. Well, I looked at that, and I said, I know God answers quick, but I'm telling you, that's about as quick as I've ever. I looked at the name on on the phone, and uh, it was a man that, that we have pastored for over 30 years and very seldom ever had a conversation, but faithful as a clock, you couldn't ask for better people in all the world. They were just some of those people that were just wonderful, but no real association. I answered the phone, and he said, where's Sister Edwards? Just like that. I said, she's right here. And he chatted with me. I said, you don't want to talk to me. You want to talk to her. And I reached over to her, and I said, the Lord's calling you. She looked at that phone, and she saw his name. She grabbed it out of my hand, and she was sobbing. And on the other end, Brother Jimmy said, Sister Edwards, I don't know why. I'm just driving home for work. I don't know why, but I had this overwhelming urge to call you right now. And she said, I know why. And from that day until right now, she's never asked God, do you love me? I want to tell you something. God loves us. Woo, my God, have mercy. I'll tell you, there's sometimes we got to get out of prison. We We can't afford to be bitter. We can't afford to give up. We can't afford to turn around. We've come this far by faith. Woo! Come on and praise Him. Hallelujah. 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 
Praise God. Praise God. Let me tell you something. Forgiveness is one of the greatest things God lets us have. Story of Robert E. Lee. I remember when we went to uh, to, to Washington, D.C. and right next to us, Virginia. And then we went to the Arlington Cemetery. And the Arlington Cemetery used to belong to the beautiful estate of Robert E. Lee before the war. And shortly after the war, Robert E. Lee was now broken and broke and uh, and, and so impoverished himself. He decided to go to church. And uh, when he went to church, he went to Richmond's Episcopal Church. And as he was sitting there broken, this old broken down gray-haired man sitting there in the pew. And next to him was a gray-haired black gentleman. And at the end of the service, the old black gentleman came down and knelt at the altar and was waiting for somebody to come and give him communion, and nobody would. Finally, Robert E. Lee, the general of the Confederate Army, got up out of his pew, walked down to the altar, knelt down beside the old black gentleman, and put his arm over his shoulder, and this is what he said, at Calvary, where Christ's body was broken, there's no room for bitterness. Would you stand with me? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and all the burdens of my heart, was rolled away. There's no room for bitterness. There's no room right now in this building this morning for you to walk out of here still in prison. There's no room this morning. I'm not asking you to walk down here and start shouting and jumping up and down. We've done that ever service. I'm not asking you this morning to make any show that we could tell and look at you and say, I believe they've made a change. I'm asking you this morning, deep down inside of you, to make that personal, personal between you and God to say, I can't afford to be bitter. <laughs> can't afford to be bitter. I can't afford right now for everything in my life that seemingly has crumbled and fallen to the ground. Charlie Plum said, I can't afford to be bitter. And I want to tell you something you can't either. We're too close to home. We've run the last mile of the way. The Lord is at hand. We're, we're, we're just struggling along for the last few days and saying, Lord, I know you're coming and I know what's near. Can't afford to be bitter. Well, somehow or another, I feel like I'm preaching to saints that have, you've changed in so many ways. You've laid down so many things when you come to God. You gave up so many things. You've repented of so many things. Come on, don't stop now. Come on, don't quit right now. Don't turn around and tell God, but I gave up this and I gave up that and I gave up this. And God still looking and said, one thing. Thou likest. Lift your hands with me right now.
in Jesus' name.